was listening to Richard's talk, and I just thought that was just so great. Oh, thank goodness that we get such great people to, to work with here. And as you know, if you've been coming for a few weeks, we've been teaching on a, a series called Mosaic, Rethinking Community. And uh, before last weekend, we've spent much of the time re-examining our attitude towards community, how we do community, what the scripture says about community, and we've learned a few things. We've learned a few things. If, if you've missed a few, fill in the blanks. It's on the podcast. And, uh, uh, but last week was an important week, and I, I said to Rich, I said, you know, and the whole team have been thinking and praying about this, and I said, you know, buddy, you've, you've got a hard task. You have got to help us transition from an inward, introspective examination of who we are and how we do church, how we do community. And you have got to help us now to transition into what God has in mind for community. Talk about rethinking community. Community tends to in, imply a, a group of people huddling together in mutual support. And yes, there's, some, some, there's a sense in which the church is that. But actually, in God's mind, Community is totally for the others. It's, it's community with a purpose. It's family with a person, purpose. It, it's about looking outward, not inward. And, and Rich had the hard task of, of helping us. You know, when you've, when you've set a, a, an organization this, this large on a particular track, you can't sort of you know, snap into a quick change of gear. But he did a great job. Listen to that talk if you missed it. He summarized well, but then he, he left us with the thought that, that the church of Jesus Christ, this community, has a bias for action. Not inaction or introspection, but a bias for action. And that is so where we want to be, because that's what God is doing among us, and that's where we're going with this thing. Let me pray now, and we'll get into the teaching. Lord, we want to say thank you to you, because... Uh, Lord, you are doing things. It's, uh, there's a sense of spring in the air, and, it's, and what is in the natural is in the supernatural. We're sensing a new springtime in the church. We're seeing your hand, your wonders. We're, we're, we're excited. We're thrilled. We're seeing new people added to the body, and people coming, prodigals coming home, and, and Lord, people getting saved for the first time, and, and everything seems to, be, seems to be under your grace, and by the, the empowering of your spirit, Lord God, everything seems to be waking up as if from a deep sleep. So, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this. And now, Lord, as I preach, I pray what I've been praying the last few months now. Lord, maybe I'm going to entertain, maybe I'm going to engage, so be it. But most of all, I want to be effective. Let the words I speak touch our hearts and change us more into your likeness, Jesus. And everyone said, amen, amen. Okay, this time last year we did a little course uh, that Tim Keller had put together. We really appreciated that. And he made a number of comments about community. He said, you cannot know God outside of community. That's a message that the Western world needs to see because there's so many lone rangers, so many kind of people doing their own thing, calling themselves a Christian but not in any connection or any, any real community with anyone. You cannot know God outside of community. You cannot be transformed outside of community. It's as we learn to love one another, as people get in our face, and as we become accountable to one another, as we build the kingdom of God here so we see the body of Christ. You cannot fulfill your purpose outside of community. 
It's interesting, that shocked me the first time I read it, but that should shock us because we have got this individualistic streak. But I, was read, I thought about that, I went back to the scriptures and I, <laughs> I went back to Mark's gospel. Mark's gospel, as many of you know, is the oldest of the gospels. It's the roughest, the rawest, it's the, the less refined, it's kind of like... 16 chapters of, of raw gospel, raw kingdom, Jesus at his roughest and readiest. But the first thing that Jesus does is, you know, it goes, you know, it doesn't go into any great depth about his birthday story and all the rest of it, it's just like straight in there. And Jesus has this incredible encounter at the hands of his cousin, John the Baptist, where he's baptized and suddenly the heavens are open and the spirit of God falls upon him and then the spirit drives him out into the desert the desert. And there he has an encounter, he comes out of the desert, and what's the first thing he does? He builds community. Even the Son of God has to get a team around him, a, a family, a community around him. The Son of God did that. God himself is community. Have you ever thought about that? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit doesn't do anything, anything by himself. There's an interdependence there. So. If it's good enough for Jesus, the old cliche, it's good enough for me and it's good enough for us. We're about building community, but it's community with a purpose. And then finally, my little summary thing here, you cannot fulfill the mission of Jesus outside of community. You may have a great vision, you may just be passionate about doing something in the Lord's name, you may... and rightly so, I'm not dissing it. You may have had an encounter with God where he spoke to you about doing something for the kingdom's sake in Jesus' name, but you know you will never be able to do that alone. You cannot fulfill the mission of Jesus in your life outside of community. It's why we do church. You know, when Fliss and I first got saved, we did our own thing in our house in the country, in our you know, three quarters of an acre in the middle of the Yorkshire Dales. And we invited people to our home and we led them to Christ and it was one of the most exciting times of our lives. We prayed for the sick, we saw them healed. Nobody told us to do that, we were just reading the book. That's what happens in the book. So we said, well it's in the book so we better do this thing. And it was incredible, amazing. But we started to see that we could lead people to Christ but we couldn't keep them. You know, all my business friends and, uh, and, and people, we, we, we just shared the gospel with our network of friends and they, they loved it. But they, they kept kind of falling away, as the, the, you know, the, the expression is. And we got frustrated with this, and suddenly we had to face the fact. For us, it was a challenge that we could not do this alone. We can only do this in community. And so we found ourselves rather sheepishly reaching out and asking to join a local church. And the rest, as they say, is history. It's, and it's why we do church planting and not on our own, so all of that. So if we can't do the mission of Jesus outside of community, what is the mission of Jesus? Well, let's, let's look at Luke chapter four. There's as good a summary there as you'll find anywhere. Luke chapter four is, I guess, where it all starts. And you know, in, in Luke's gospel, we've got three or four chapters. There's the birth of Jesus, there's the visit of the Magi, there's this, that, and the other. There's a great big genealogy. There's all sorts of things going on. Finally. Finally, we get round to the kingdom stuff. And in Luke's account, what he, where we're taken is, is into the, the synagogue, the local church, the community there. And uh, he, he's in church on the Sabbath. 
And their custom was to let's all you know, bring a reading, share this, share that. And you know, it wasn't a, an unusual thing. Jesus asked to have the, the Torah of the scroll given to him. And he's given the, he gets given this scroll and he opens it up. And this is what he picks out to read. The spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus takes it out of the synagogue and out onto the hills, the highways, the byways, and he just networks with anybody and everybody. And it's a small crowd to begin with, but the healings begin to start, just like we're seeing here. And that gets people's attention because that cuts right across their expectations. It doesn't matter where you are, whether you're a, you know, somebody out in the outbacks, the hills of Galilee, or whether you are a banker in, on Canary Wharf, something like that makes you sit up and ask a question, doesn't it? You better believe it. You better believe it. And so before long, crowds began to develop. Let's just turn to Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. And uh, I'll read it off the screen because, you know, I, I've got an NIV Bible here, but it turns out that there are so many different versions of the NIV. Often I read this thing and it's all wrong. So I'm sorry if I've confused you in the past. So I'll read it off here. Matthew chapter 9, Jesus has issued his manifesto and he sets to with his little band of followers. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, we got crowds now, folks. Crowds. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. They didn't know whether they were coming or going. They were at their wit's end. You may know people out in the community who you would say they're, they're at their wit's end. Do you know, I was sat there in worship, and as happens sometimes, even with me, you know, I was distracted for a moment, and I thought of somebody, and I felt a concern for them that they might be suicidal. It just came into my mind. You may be no people like that. You may know of people like that. People who in this 21st century, when we have all the answers, don't we, or not, are harassed and helpful. <laughs> helpful, helpless. Harassed and helpless. <laughs> But Jesus was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were all over the place, darting hither and hither, panic, white-eyed and wild-eyed. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. You see, there will always be the crowd. Jesus and Jesus' stuff and the kingdom of God always attracts a crowd. I don't know how many people are... Currently on our, on our supposedly active list, I do know that we have nearly 800 people on our membership list. Uh, you know, we, we, stuff goes on here all week. When I say our membership list, what I mean by that is our, is our online membership thing, people who are registered as members. Uh, stuff happens here all week. We see a different crowd at every single event. There will be a different crowd in here at 11.30. There will be a different crowd tonight at the prayer meeting. We are having the prayer meeting tonight, aren't we? Seven o'clock. Don't miss it. That's a great. Different crowds, different people, different communities. Actually, all of one community. There's too many to be in here in one, one time. There's always a crowd, and there should be a crowd. Jesus attracted crowds, and he didn't, they weren't an irritation to him. 
He felt love for them. They, they, didn't just sort of, they weren't just a, an interruption. He felt love and compassion for them. But within the crowd, there's the community, the core, the real core, not the tourists, as I call them, but the core, the core, the disciples. And it's to them that he turns and he says, pray with me, ask the Father to raise up workers for the harvest. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers, the disciples, are few. And that's what we want to be, wherever you are. I wasn't even in a crowd for years. I, 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 was, I was way outside the crowd. I couldn't even, I couldn't even you know, dignify my position before the Lord by saying, well, I'm one of the crowd. I couldn't say, I'm, one of a, I'm a tourist. I, could, I certainly couldn't say, I'm a disciple. But, but actually, wherever you are on your spiritual quest, your spiritual journey, that, that place that you are, what Jesus wants you to do is to draw you in draw you ever inward to him. First and foremost, we're called to be with Jesus. That's why we're almost obsessed about the presence of God in this church. We love the presence of God. We seek his face before we seek his hand. And so Jesus says to the disciples, pray with me, work with me, serve with me. You see, that's, that's a distinction. The crowd, let's have that great big crowd thing I asked you to do. The crowds came, they wanted to be served. They wanted the picnic, they wanted the food, they wanted, they wanted the donuts. <laughs> they wanted to be taught. They wanted to see a few miracles or two. They, they, they wanted to see a healing or two. I'd like to see my wife healed at the moment. She's in bed with man flu. I'm sure it's man flu. I, I think something, in fact, I would rather you keep this to yourself, don't let it go beyond these four walls, but I think something horrible has happened. I think that you know, the unthinkable has happened. I think there's been a, you know, a, a genetic leap between man flu to women. It's awful. It's, I tell you, it's, I think they've got it now. It's like the fear we had about avian flu coming from chickens to humans. Well, I think man flu has now transferred itself to women. She keeps tossing and turning and says, can I have 12 pints of lager and a donna kebab? You know. <laughs> it's definitely man flu. She's in bed this morning. That's why I can be so cheeky because she's not sat there. I could even throw some litter on the floor and I wouldn't get told off. Yeah. You would, you would tell her, wouldn't you? Okay, moving on. Where am I? So the, the crowds, wherever you are, the, we, we all have to start somewhere and we start as enemies of Christ. You know that, don't you? We've tried to teach you that. No one starts as just a nice middle-class person who just didn't know better. We start as enemies of Christ, damned and doomed. That's where we start. And we need to wake up and we need to as sensitively, but as, as clearly as that, convey that people are lost without Christ. Lost without Christ. Not, you know, it's, a, you know, it's my choice. They are lost without Christ. That's why Jesus was, was compelled to take the good news of the kingdom. That's what he did. The good news of the kingdom, to set captives free, to preach good news, not bad news or judgment or criticism, but preach a gospel of love. Be love to your neighbors, your friends, and your, those who, in your network. 
And then something extraordinary happened. If the crowds were there to be served, there were the disciples, thank you. And they were the ones that serve. They were the ones that serve. You know, and, and, and we, are, we are determined to try and train you and teach you and help you to, to understand it's all about serving and serving as part of a community. That's what the church of Jesus Christ looks like. There are far too many passengers in the church today, just pew fillers, people who just show, I'm not talking about this church, I'm, I'm not, I, honestly, I, pr- I promise you, hand on heart, I really am not beefing at anybody here. But in the church, and I have some experiences, maybe some of you, in the church at large, there's far too many passengers. How can we be passengers when the ship is sinking and we need to tell people to get into the lifeboats? And so, the disciples, the distinctive about a disciple is that they're not here to be served, but they're here to serve. And you, any Sunday, any, come here throughout the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you will see volunteers, you will see people coming and going. I mean, Monday and Tuesday, sometimes I think, why am I going to go and I'll never get anything done? The place is just heaving with people, giving up their time, their energy, and their money to serve. God bless you guys. Keep it up. As I used to say to the kids when they used to do their school sports day, listen, don't, you don't necessarily have to be the fastest, but you have to finish well, because believe me, the fastest very often slows down over those last two or three meters, and, and if you just go for that point two or three meters beyond the winning line, you will win. Now ask my kids, they won, they won, they won, they won, because they finished well. They finished well, and often the biggest kid, the fastest kid was so pleased, he would slow down the last two or three meters, and our kids just got ahead, and they just didn't look to the left, they didn't, and they just ran to that. I used to teach them a meter beyond the finishing line. That's what we want to be as Christians, running so that we run to that point, a meter beyond the finishing line. We all make good starts with Christ. It's impossible not to make a good start. But will we finish well? Will we finish well? Now Jesus took these disciples and he trained them up. In the midst of all the, the, the pulling and the tugging and the demands of public ministry, it was so public, it wasn't hidden away, it was so public. He was pulled hither and thither. People came to him and said, come with me and heal my daughter. Even the Romans came to him, the Roman centurion said, will you come and pray for my servant? It was just, must have been exhausting. And in fact, if you read the scriptures, it was exhausting. He says, I'm exhausted. And he said to the disciples, you're exhausted. Let's take a little break. But all along, what Jesus understood was that it was important to meet together, to bring these guys together, to make a little church, a little, little room, a little space somewhere, because the meeting place is the training place for the marketplace. Just read that with me. The meeting place is the training place for the marketplace. Say that again. The meeting place is the training place 
for the marketplace. What you learn to do here at the front of church, what you learn to do in essential, what you learn to do here, serving here, that is not just what you do at that place called a vineyard at the end of the road in the industrial estate. That's what you do. That's where you get trained. That's where you see God at work so that you then have the confidence to say to your neighbor, can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? And if you think that we're seeing power here, when you start praying for your sick neighbors or your sick colleagues, I tell you, you will see an exponential outpouring. I've told you how my, my neighbor, a Hindu couple, he was, uh, I think I've told this story recently, I've told it several times, anyway, I'll tell it again in case you haven't heard it. But my, my neighbor was looking rather downcast, it was obvious, his face just looked like that, and I said to him, Bob, I said, what's the matter with you? And he said, my mother's really sick, she's very old. She's in a home. She's got a number of things wrong with her, and we think that she might die this week, so we're spending all our time when I'm not working at the hospital, and just in case you know, she goes. And I said, oh boy, can I just pray for you? I'm in the street. We actually stood in the road at that moment. We've got a quiet sort of area where we live. So I said, let's step onto the pavement. We stepped on the pavement. I prayed for him. I prayed for his, his mother. And I, I prayed not just for peace as she left this mortal coil. I said, God, would you just heal her? Would you just restore her? The whole prayer took more than, no more than 20 seconds. I saw him about four days later, four or five days later, and, and, and I'd actually forgotten that I prayed. And I said to him, I said, Bob, how are you doing? And he said, oh, I'm exhausted. I said, is it still bad? Is it? She said, no, 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 no. And this is what he said, a Hindu. He said to me, you prayed, my mother, she has got well. Now she's driving us mad. She keeps getting out of bed and going down to the corner shop. <laughs> the nurses are going to know what to do with her. You prayed. She got healed. He has since. Every time I see him, he's now retired and he goes back to, back to uh, India just to visit relatives. But whenever he comes back, he says, Hi, Chris, you prayed. <laughs> you prayed. It's like, I'm really sorry. I wish I hadn't now. <laughs> Oh dear, forgive me, you know, I did bad, you know. No, no, seriously, I mean, we didn't have the kind of, the safe environment of learning how to pray with one, and we didn't have Linda and John watching over us, and, and, and ministry team leaders just to sort of coach us. It was just on the pavement, and I'm hearing on the pavement stories now, because you are learning that the meeting place is the training place for the marketplace. Jesus pulled the disciples together at the end of a very busy day and said, guys, let's just spend a few moments. And then there'd be a bit of training, a bit of time for questions, and then off they would go the next day and do it all over again. To and beyond the point of exhaustion. It's worth exerting yourself for. This, is, this kingdom of God is worth giving to. It's worth serving for. It's worth spending your life for. We are dealing with things of eternal consequence here. Let me just press this point home. Let's have that little verse, uh, Luke chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. One day the disciples were following Jesus dutifully around, running errands, this, that, and the other, crowd control, you name it, they're doing it, you know. We can spend time talking about who the disciples were. They were a motley crew. There was a terrorist, Simon the Zealot, a terrorist, a fundamentalist, somebody that people did not like. Even the Jews didn't like the Zealots very much because they thought that they would bring down the wrath of the Roman Empire upon them. They were a militant, angry bunch of young men 
who were looking for revolution. Simon the Zealot was one of Jesus' chosen few. We had a tax collector there. We had Judas Iscariot doing all this stuff who was going to portray Jesus. We had Peter who couldn't hold his tongue or his temper. We had two brothers who did nothing but argue about who was going to be the greatest when finally Jesus was made king and they sat there in the cabinet. I want to be foreign secretary. No, I'm going to be foreign secretary, etc., 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 etc. This was ordinary people, fishermen. And this is who he took and he changed the world because they got passionate. They got risky. They started doing what they'd done in the meeting place, in the marketplace, and it changed the world. Now, this, this is an important verse. It's easily missed. A couple of verses here. Jesus called the 12 together, and he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. They're all sitting around one morning. It's gray dawn, very early. Somebody got up. They're poking a few embers. They're going to cook a few fish, perhaps a little bit of bread before they set off for the next thing, and Jesus has been out praying probably, as was his wont. Before dawn, he comes back into the camp and he says, guys, listen, uh, change, of, change, of, change of plan today. I'm going to do this, thus, and so. But you guys, you're going to do what we normally do. And they looked at one another and they said, what did he just say? What did he just say? Did he, did he say that we What do you mean we're going to do what you do? You're Jesus. We just are the followers. You're the disciples. But then Jesus, he called them again and he gave them authority to cure diseases, to cast out demons, and he sent them out to do what? To preach the kingdom, to be good news in the wider community, amongst the crowd. In the crowd. It's easy to be good news in the church. Oh, let me get that for you. Hang on, I'll do that. Oh my goodness, who's left this? We'll sort that out. We need people, we run on people like that. But actually, it's what we do out there. It's how we take this out that is life-changing and transforming. And it didn't stop there, rushing on. It didn't stop there because in, in Luke chapter 10, let's read this, Luke chapter 10, verses 1 and verse 9. At that time, no, that's 21. Can we go back one, please? Thank you. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others 72 others, men, women, halt, lame, sick, tax collectors, sinners, you name it, you can bet they were all there, ex-prostitutes probably, nice people, middle-class people, people who just gripped by the mission of Jesus, wealthy people, influential people, just were there. Well, they were just part of the 72 others. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And he said to them, heal the sick who are there. Not pray for the sick, heal the sick. We've got to be a little bolder in our prayers. We've got a little more desperate. Just to see God do the works of the kingdom, to see his kingdom come, when desperation overcomes our embarrassment, as I think Richard said, which I love that line. When our desperation to see God do things overcomes our embarrassment amongst our peers and friends and neighbors, then we'll see God come and move in power in our community. And he said to them, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. Now, we actually have a little bit of follow-up on that. 21, thanks, Tim. They came back, these 72 others, they weren't even the in crowd. 
There were just the 72 others. They came back and, and they said to Jesus, it was amazing. Everywhere we went, you know, we saw God do things. Every, everywhere we went, it was incredible. We saw God move in power. It was like you were with us, Jesus, but you weren't with us. And Jesus responds to this news. He says, at that time, Jesus, full of the joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, this was for your good pleasure. You see, it wasn't just the remit of the the sort of upper class religious leaders who had the privilege of being in training for years. These were ordinary men and women like you and I with issues. And they got sent out and they could not believe what Jesus did. They could not believe it. And Jesus isn't surprised, he's full of joy. Remember, joy is the emotion of the kingdom. He's full of joy and he says, Father, this rocks. I love it. I love it when that, I don't, was it a couple of kids that prayed for, um, Kev, pay attention. <laughs> was it a couple of kids that prayed for James last week? The youth, you see, these, this wasn't, uh, James standing here got this healing, you know, praise God. This wasn't home group leaders. This was a couple of our fuse people or youth people. We have had the kids come up here and pray the last two or three weeks with the ministry team. We, I tell you, if you have a need, try and ang- wangle it so that you get the kids to pray for you because God is using them. They don't have any hang-ups. God is God is God and he does God things, right? We're all a little bit older and wiser and a bit more sophisticated and what have you. You see, God gives this to the hungry, the desperate. He gives his power. He gives himself away to those who need him. And I want to carry him out there into the community. So we finish off here, Matthew 28. If it was given away, if this, this authority and power was given to the 12, if, if it was then extraordinarily given to the 72, whoever, Matthew 28, then Jesus came. Jesus, by the way, if you don't know the story, Jesus has died on the cross. He's died for the sins of the world. Now we can all come into the Father's presence without any let or hindrance. He spends time with the disciples in his risen state, but there comes a point when he has to go back to glory from whence he came. Just about to go to be back with his father, and these are his closing words. They could have been anything. Play nicely, be good, don't forget to put the cat out. The dustman comes on Wednesday. Could have been anything. But what he says is, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Many, 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 many Christian churches have that, know that. They even have it painted on their back wall. What they miss is the next verse. And teach them, teach them to obey everything I have taught you. Heal the sick, cast out demons, preach the good news. Teach them to do that. 
And surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Have we come to the end of the age yet? No. Does that mean that Jesus is still with us? Yes. And are we to disciple by teaching people to heal the sick, cast out demons, preach the good news? Of course. We can spend the next two or three weeks looking at some of the, that un, unpacking that and teaching you and training you, stuff that is part of our vineyard genetic code. And believe me, as we do this, not only are we going to see God in this place, we're going to see God out there. Because the meeting place is the training place for the marketplace. Let's all stand. Can I have the worship team back up? Father, we want to say thank you to you. You are always surprising. You are often challenging. And you are always comforting. And we pray, Lord God, that we would, as the community here, learning to love one another, have that bias for action, and that we would carry your authority and your power beyond these four walls into the marketplace where we live and work and have our being. And everyone said, Amen. Samuel, thank you.